When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, it's Fowler to tell you about our friends at Beer52. Once again, they're offering eight free craft beers to listeners of the Terrace podcast. And to be honest, guys, this might come just about in time. Lockdown restrictions are tightening. The number of people we can see from other households is being a bit more restricted. And it could soon get to the point where we're back stuck in our jammies again, drinking with our friends via Zoom. If that's going to be the case, then why not treat yourself, get some types of beers that you wouldn't be able to get in the pubs, and, you know, have a little bit of variety. Variety is the spice of life. I always like to go for... Different picks and mixes, my favourite food for instance is tapas, I like to just, you know, not just be stuck with one thing. Now typically, I go against that when it comes to drinking beer, I, I typically go for cooking lager, but it's but the last time that Beer52 had this promotion, I, I, I went for it myself, and I was thoroughly impressed with what they had to offer. Multiple different types of beer, uh, I was able to, some I obviously enjoyed more than others, but that's part of the fun, isn't it? And these are sourced, curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash terrace and just cover the 5 95 for postage. Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club with over 150,000 members that they send a brand new case to every single month. Each month's case has a different theme. Past themes have included beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, and all over the US and Europe. If dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose a light option, and your case will come with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment and a tasty snack. Don't worry though, if you change your mind, you can pause or cancel your account at any time. Just go to beer52.com forward slash terrace to get your first case of eight beers for five ninety five postage. That's beer52.com forward slash terrace.
Hello, welcome to Monday's episode of a Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler. Tonight, I'm going to be joined by Graham Thulis, Joel Sked, and Tom Watt to look back over the weekend's action. Now, just to change up the intro slightly, during the week, myself and Craig Anderson kind of combined for an article that I'd done for the Scotsman, which is basically about the fact that there'd been a, a massive lack of goals in the top flight this season, and it was on pace to be the lowest scoring top flight in history on a basis of goals per match. I think that was around about, if I remember correct, correctly, 2.18 per match. So thankfully, with the exception of one, every single game this past weekend went over that. So we're not probably heading to a horrendously low-scoring season. And it looks like teams are just taking a little bit of time to, to find their feet. Obviously, the lack of fans probably doesn't help that as well. And when supporters are allowed back in the stadiums, fingers crossed, then the goals will also pick up as well. But it was great to see so many goals, so many talk abouts over the weekend. And we're going to delve into that right now. Okay, first up, I'm joined by Graham Thulis, and we're going to talk about Hibs' draw with Rangers to start with. Rangers don't like it up them, Graham. <laughs> See, we were sort of kind of we were talking about this in the group chat earlier on, and like. I can, I can genuinely see teams' complaints. So, for example, when Rangers got bent out of shape after Motherwell beat them at Hamden, after Ryan Bowman smashed somebody's face open, I can understand the complaints about that. Um, I can see, I, I can fully understand some other teams as well. Um, so, for example, you come up against Livingston again. It's 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 a difficult team to play against. Um, Aberdeen on their day as well. When Derek McInnes decides he's going to send out his boys to go and get in a fight, absolutely fine. Hearts much the same. Imagine getting bent out of shape because you get battered off Hibs, a team that haven't have barely fought their way out of a wet paper bag in about 120 years. <laughs> like the idea of getting terribly upset because Hibs were mean to you. Hibs were mean to us, and Hibs pushed us around. Like all you're doing in that situation is telling on yourself. Like you turned up in a game and you got battered off a team who has one guy who's reasonably tough in it, um, as opposed to your 11 guys who who are all. Better paid, better footballers than them. You're just you are you're literally just telling on yourself yourself and showing yourself up for not being ready for the game. Uh, it's it's going to go. I can assume that Rangers fans are going to go to the classic old form well as well, which is that football in this country is is too physical, and that's why that's why we always struggle because referees always let the players away for doing this. It's not just Rangers fans; Celtic fans do it every time as well. When that when they're when they're not physical enough in a game, it's just like oh, the problem isn't us. The problem is Scottish football in general. Truth be, truth be told, as well, I didn't think it was a particularly physical performance from Hibs. There was two or three flashpoints within the game, but there's two or three flashpoints in every football game in, in history that isn't a testimonial. Um, th- th- those are things that are going to happen in games. And again, if you are a team which is looking to compete in that sort of that sort of arena, then you need to stand up for it. And they didn't at all. It wasn't like. And again, as I say, it's not like playing Livingston. It's not like playing Motherwell when they were at their thundering best and things like that. It's it's not like it. Hibs had a couple of moments where they got in Rangers' faces. And aside from that, there's there's nothing different to that. And again, it's the idea that somehow Ryan Porteous does this against against Rangers and gets away with it. Ryan Porteous just played his game the same as he's done every other game this season. Um, he plays the same way against every other team. It's not a case of it's not against Rangers, it's not against anybody else. And if you, if you, like I say, if you can't stand up to that, then why are you bothering? And Stephen Gerrard as well. I mean, the guy, uh, well, first of all, 
that is something during, during his career, Steven Gerrard, it, it wasn't highlighted a lot because the British media was absolutely in love with him. But during his career a lot, he'd done a, a, quite a fair few kind of quite bad tackles in his time. And kind of that, that was never really highlighted that much. I remember one of he had against Middlesbrough when he caught like George Boating, like studs yeah. and he's like thigh, you know, it was the sh- absolute shocker. But again, and, these, these uh, are, these has, are things- but this is a guy who's who's beat the Champions League finals, who's who's performed on who, well, not performed, who's played on underwhelming England teams and all the kind of pressure that comes with that, all all the kind of mental toughness you have to go through as a player. And this is him as a as a manager getting absolutely rattled by a twenty one year old Fidel Keith. <laughs> quite quite and again like more than anything else this the, the two games that Rangers have, have dropped points in this season are Livingston and Hibernian and again you could look at those games on a fixture list and say look they've dropped points there because those teams have been bigger and stronger and tougher than them in neither of those games did Rangers turn up um, the Livingston game earlier in the season what they needed more of was aimless crosses low into the six yard box and, and, and this game again like as we again, as we were all watching the game and sort of chatting about it as well, there was a number of Rangers players that just didn't turn up. At this yeah. point, Haji still hasn't turned up this season. His touch for Arfield's goal was absolutely wonderful, and, and Ali McCoy was quite right to, to wax lyrically about it because it was a brilliant moment, a brilliant touch, and it shows the ability they had. But you, he played for the majority of the game, and that was the only real major touch that he took in the game. And you need to. Um, he did. Have, he did have the ball through for Kent at two one. I actually think. It was a daft substitution. I thought Hadji was actually starting to come on a game uh, at the point of at the point where Gerard decided to take him off, took him off, and then went with the tactic that it's never worked. I don't. I really it doesn't don't work think for anyone. It doesn't. It's not just that it doesn't work for Gerard. I, can nah, I suppose I. But, 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 but to work for anybody. I think with with Rangers, you just expect it to work more. Rangers or Celtic, because these are. I mean, this is the difference, isn't it? This has been the difference between the two clubs the last couple of years. Is that Celtic? Celtic find a way to get that goal in the end. And Rangers don't. When Rangers are going into the, you know, the last ten minutes of a match, and they're, they're desperately finding a goal to to either keep pace with Celtic or to you know go ahead of them, they never seem to find it. And this it looks like it's going to deny them again this year. And it's it, Gerard's continual plan is just to throw on Defoe and play Defoe and Morelos together. They've never looked like doing anything when that happens, and they always kind of lose their. They kind of lose something. He needs to, I think, often in those terms, he needs to be braver and say like Morelos is not having a good game. We're we're still on top because after they made that change, all they really all they could really do was throw balls into the penalty box. So nobody Kent seemed to be dropping ridiculously deep in those last like 15, 20 minutes, and they just seem to have nobody there who's capable of making something deft and incise. And, and it was just absolutely no surprise that they finished to each. Well, that's it. I mean, again, it comes down to depth. You're quite right to reference Celtic in the way that they're able to, to drag games around, but that's because they have, first of all, they have the sort of football and Swiss Army knife and Callum McGregor, and that if you want to change a game, he's perfect to have in your squad because he's already on the pitch and you can put him essentially any position you want him to and he'll, do, he'll offer something different. But it's the depth that they have in there as well. So if it's if it's if they need someone to take control of the midfield, you know, need somebody to have a bit of magic in midfield, you can bring on the Cham or you can bring on Rogic, or it'll be presumably Turnbull going forward for that as well. They've got slightly different options going wide and players that do different things. Rangers don't have those midfield options. Um, you're looking at the Rangers bench today. Again, the only real options he has is to throw on other strikers because the alternative is putting on Jordan Jones or Jimmy Barjonis or Nathan <laughs> Patterson, who are all like all fine players for the level. But if you are struggling to get a goal, 
they're not going to offer something different to the players that you have on there at all. And again, it comes back to that as well. The, the midfield three that Rangers started with was Arfield, Kamara and Davis. And again, that's on. there are reasons for that and they are carrying injuries within the squad as well. But even the players that are out are not remarkably different players to those three. Um, they've got a whole... It, it, it feels, and it has always felt with Gerard very much a case of, well, there's plan A and then if that doesn't work, we'll do plan A better in order to fix it. Whereas... Roger certainly with Celtic was able to do different things with his squad and Lennon for I imagine we talk about this later later on um, but again with Lennon he does different things with his squad he does different things with his lineup for better or for worse at times but at the moment he appears to be learning different things about his squad and asking players to do different roles and he has a whole a whole collection of guys within the team that can do that because he's put them in those positions like sticking nominally sticking James Forrest out in the left seemed like a daft idea until you actually looked at it and went actually this works really really well and then that means in future if you need to go and ask him to do that then yeah you can do that that's not a problem he, he has the ability there he has the experience of doing that and he knows what's asked of him out there and Rangers just aren't they, they don't have that, that, that flexibility and they don't have that depth you should probably go through some of the players who didn't play well, and there was quite a few of them in, in the Rangers ranks. Uh, Davis and, uh, and Kamara were, were very poor. With uh, Kamara, Kamara recently has kind of looked like he's playing with a bit more purpose, but that was kind of that was missing from this game. He was just kind of doing his usual sideways. That wasn't really affecting the, the match at all. Davis was very off with his passing. I thought Barisic had. Probably his poorest game of the season. Maybe the same goes for Kent as well. If those two aren't firing, then it's going to be difficult for Rangers to win any game. And the defence in the second half, just, you know, just having looked, you know, they conceded the goal right after as well. Hibs had a, a decent chance. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a great start by the back four, but they kind of seemed to settle down it and they looked kind of in control. And once they got themselves in front, you thought that would be it. But Goldson and Halander, like just a, a kind of crazy kind of fifty-minute spell where they were just all over the place. And then I Morelos up front didn't do all that much. Hadji had that had a couple of moments, but kind of flitted in and out. The only player I actually thought played well for Rangers was uh, Scott Arfield, uh, who kind of just going back to what I said on Thursday, he, he seems to be kind of feeling himself, playing with a bit of confidence at the moment, and it's still important because without Arfield today, you know they might have actually got beat. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, just, just nodded. <laughs> no, sorry. I thought, I thought, I thought you were continuing. I thought that was, that was the beginning of another point. Yeah, I, I entirely agree with that as well. And Kamara does a nice job for Rangers, but again, it's coming back to the Livingston game as well when he was playing alongside Ryan Jack. There's no need for that. You, you don't need that. You've you already. If he's going to play back up to Jack, then that's fine. If Davis is going to be a starter, if Arfield's going to be a starter, then you need, they need another. They need a different type of midfielder for me yeah. essentially ah. um, McLaughlin as well was fine but I think we'll see McGregor in next week yeah I wondered, I wondered after the the opening you, goal you, you, keep, you keep him in until, he, until you don't keep him in anymore and I think today's the day where you don't keep him in anymore I think that's, that's the opportunity where you still look at McGregor and say well he's your guy now um, well McGregor, McGregor might have conceded those as well I'm not convinced it was his, it was the commanding performance that you want from John McLaughlin when you've got McGregor now fit and, and McGregor would have charged at 25 yards I'm sorry Correct. not 25 yards McGregor would have charged at 90 yards just to punch Ryan Porteous <laughs> anyway what about Hibs um, how much do you love Paul McGinn because I think Paul McGinn's absolutely magic yeah uh, it's, he's been he's turned out to be a fantastic signing I, I always liked Paul McGinn so when when Hibs signed him and there was kind of the, the feeling was a, a little bit underwhelming I used to, 
to be fair, because of his age, I did wonder whether it was kind of catching up at the wrong time, but I've always been a fan of his. What's kind of impressed me the most is that I just thought he was a right back and nothing else. And the fact that he's been able to play so well as on the right side of a back three, as I think is the most impressive thing. And it, talking about when you mentioned about McGregor and his ability to to, to make Celtic um, more kind of flexible during games, McGinn is one of the most important players in Hibs starting 11 because of that, because they can easily go between a back three and a back four because he is very comfortable in both positions and not just comfortable, excellent in both positions so far this season. Yeah, and it, it lets them do that either, like, as you say, go to back four, play as a back three, do a sort of that sort of lopsided uh, four four two that people seem to like as well. And I, 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 I think both you and I at the time when he was signed, both I think that everyone else sort of looked at it and shrugged, and the two of us went, "Well, I think this is actually quite a sensible signing. It's at the very worst, it gives Hib, Hibs a, a sort of actually fit right back option on a on a weekly basis at the very be- at the very worst case scenario. So yeah. Um, I thought Nisbet was great today as well. Um, I thought it was something while Dodge, I think, maybe struggles a little bit in the in the games against the better teams, um, just because I don't. I'm not quite sure he's sharp enough of a footballer to compete against Hellander or Goldson. He didn't have a bad game certainly, but just there was a few times that his touch just lets him down ever so slightly in games where if he's playing against any of or, or nine of the other teams in the league, I think he probably gets away with against Hellander and Goldson. He doesn't quite as much, but Nisbet's ability to just he, he has no hesitation whatsoever it's a case of get the ball out of his feet get a strike off and that, that's that's all his interest is in and both you and I will have seen plenty of centre followers who are very like that in the way that they play as well um, unfortunately they're, they're getting the touch and getting the shot off is absolutely appalling but Nisbet's strike rate at the moment is, is just pretty impressive as well and he just I was I, I didn't think he'd take to this level um, as, as comfortable as he as, as he has. I know certainly uh, it was Sean McGuigan was was very insistent that he was going to be brilliant. I was less convinced, but the the speed at which he's adapted and the way that he's playing within the game is very impressive for me. Yeah, especially this kind of early in, in the campaign, you kind of thought that if he was going to to make it in the top flight, that then it might be a little bit of a project. It might be you know, a little bit of a learning process and I don't think he's been necessarily great in a few games that he's played so far this season but there's definitely a player there at the top flight level and he's he's, he's proven already that he's going to score goals and yes. when he gets chances he can stick them away and he's, you know, his overall play has been of a higher standard than I assumed it would be coming out in this campaign and to be able to make that consistent step up it's just incredible to go, you know, third tier, second tier top flight three years in a row it's just unbelievable uh, Graham by the way uh, Dallas Cowboys have recovered their first onside kick I've just seen that uh, I've, I've got this as well <laughs> I've got it on the show this is fucking mental <laughs> Joel, Joel Screens is very good and if it happens again it might actually kill Jerry Jones anyway carrying on very quickly um, like I said in, in terms of, sort of obviously I'm sort of I don't particularly want to talk about Hibs physicality in this game because as I say I don't think it particularly was well I mean but, Hibs are just a massive advantage when you've got these huge bulking guys like Paul Hanlon and Paul McGinn. Big Absolutely. bullies, a lot of them. The thing was as well, for me, the worst moment in the game was Dre Wright, um, who's probably the smallest guy on the field, um, standing on Ryan Kitten's Achilles. And for me, that one, that that is a that's a naughty one because he is very much good. Like, there's no... For the, for the just when he's been smart and he's standing up and he's pushing him around because it's Morelos and for better or for worse if you push him around something might happen so of course you've got to do that yeah. the, one from, the one from Hanlon as well I don't think I didn't give I give him the benefit of the doubt and don't think it was intentional mainly because it's Paul Hanlon yeah. um, and I think he was just getting himself in front and yet he caught 
Hadji and fair enough, it's a booking, carry on. The one from right I thought was was pretty poor. Um, I was I, that that for, that to me is an unpleasant one because that's anyone that's had their Achilles stood on in that way, but either intentionally or unintentionally, um, is is a very very painful thing to do. But again, speaking of right, he probably had his best game in a hip shot so far. I'd say. It's probably his best game in quite a while, to be honest, as well, whether it Hibs or whether it's St Johnston as well. I thought he was very good throughout. Right, have we done enough, done this game of death? We could probably say that, uh, I think Hibs probably should have had, was it a penalty? Was it 2-1? They should have had a penalty at? Mm. After Porteous's chance and Nisbet following up. It looked like he was impeded to me, but... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah oh, well, it's, the, it's, the scored it's, anyway, so fuck it, who cares? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, oh, just, just, just as well as that as well, I thought, again, just giving Gogic uh, just that little bit more praise as well. And there was a couple of weeks ago we were talking, we were talking about the Hibs game and how much they missed him being there. And it, today just showed quite how kind of vital he is to that team because right, having, having Wright and Boyle and Nisbet and Doig and Doig, they're all really nice players. And if you're talking about physicality, I thought Gogic throughout the game was very, very good in just terms of just stepping into the game. Um, is a whole series of just stopping other stopping Rangers playing, and you can only you can only survive and thrive as Hibs are just now with somebody like that. And then someone that they missed last year, and particularly in games like this, you notice it even more so because he's just there and he's everywhere throughout the ninety minutes. I thought he was very good again. All right, let's move on for this one to the game at Tanadice. Dundee United 2, St Mirren 1. Now, I haven't seen this game. I uh, stupidly got a bit drunk in the house last night, so I've not been able to do my usual level of research. So I'm just going to be asking you a number of questions. Uh, but I did watch the... I did manage to watch the highlights on Sports Scene, and I have read up a fair bit on the game. Quite an unusual starting 11 from United, wasn't it? Luke Bolton playing at right-back, two left-backs on the left, and, and uh, Jamie Robson and Adrian Sperla, who eventually got the winning goal, but it did seem to, to work for the host in the end. It did, yeah, and I, I do kind of wonder whether Shanklin coming back is actually bad news for Mickey Mellon. Um, like if Shanklin doesn't come back, then United are much worse. <laughs> <laughs> can't believe the Cowboys have won this fucking game, this is insane. <laughs> if, uh, if Shanklin isn't back, then it becomes an awful lot more challenging for Dundee United to be an attacking force in the game, and Again, Bolton starting at right back, like fine, okay. He 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 he, he certainly from from watching the I watched it on the accelerated time on Y Scout, and he looked like he had a reasonable game, but it's not really doing Dundee United any favours. Maybe a longer term in the season as well, because again, I, I feel like I mention this every time I speak about United, but they need bodies in there because. The, there's a whole collection of guys in that team. Like Reynolds, again, showing his weaknesses within the game, which is literally his weakness um, in there as well. Edwards looks okay. For me, Butcher might be the United's best centre-half option. But again, if you take him out of the midfield, there's literally nobody else to play there. Um, relying on guys like Logan Chalmers, who from watching it, he had a really good game. I thought he was very impressive throughout. Um, he, there's... You're asking an awful lot from a 20-year-old. Uh, so Declan Glass came into the game as well, who once again showed that he's quite a good footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's, you're, you're just asking so much. And when the season's going to be probably quite long and there's every chance the season's going to end up being quite stop-start, I, I'm surprised at the lack of business that Dundee United have been doing. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's still weird because it's still basically a championship team. Like It is yeah. the team that last year, but... They're playing above that because their manager does seem to be quite good as well. It does help. And I think it. I think Saturday's game as well showed how big it is just to have Lon Shanklin back in the team because St Mirren 
or maybe even the better side uh, from what I've read uh, prior to the goal, or at least at least a, a kind of a fairly even game, and they certainly had the better opportunities before Shank had scored. And I mean, that goal just comes out of nowhere. And I, I mean, is there anybody else in this league who could score that? I can't even imagine Morelos doing that, or you know, maybe Edward. But even even then, I mean, that's just the finishing on that is outrageous. I would argue that there's a whole collection of guys in the league who could score it, but there's very few who would mean it. Um, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's whereas, better. <laughs> whereas the fact that Shankland went celebrating basically as it left his toe kind of highlights that he entirely he did exactly what he meant to do with it. It was uh, it's it's an absolutely wonderful strike that will finish second in Golden Month this month. Um, so will <laughs> <laughs> finish second uh, to Scott Arfield's goal today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you don't if you don't like it, fucking vote. Um, much like Brexit, <laughs> fucking assholes. Um, nonetheless. Like St Mirren again as well. Like I do. Like at which point is Jim Goodwood going to actually be able to pick his first eleven? Because um, mm. every, every time I look at the St Mirren squad and the addition of Lee Irwin as well, I think I think it's a really good addition. He's a player I've always really liked for not just the reasons that you think, um, but I've always I think he's a great addition to that squad. And he never really seemed to sort of fit in at County, and he never really seemed to fit in at Kelly. But it's St Mirren that looks like a good place for him to go and play regular football, which is is kind of what he needs and is needed for the past like four years essentially. Um, but Goodwin, the way that Goodwin sets up the team as well, it just it, you're asking it again, similar to United in some ways. And I think Erin's Erin looks like a really nice player, but he, again, you're asking an awful lot of him to cover an awful an awful lot of ground. They seem to sort of set up with two wingers as well, which seems to me it leaves an awful lot of space around. Yeah, because I was going to ask, but that's what Tony kind of wants him to play two wingers, just get balls in the box. But it does leave him a bit vulnerable in the centre of the park, and. It yeah. does, and, and Sam Foley's, I, I really like Sam Foley as well, I think he's a really good player, and McGrath's a good player, sorry, um, Aaron's a good player as well in there, but just, you're asking a huge amount of them to cover, at least Foley doesn't cover the biggest amount of ground. He's, he's in not. his mid-30s. Well, yeah, if, <laughs> if, if, if Sam Foley's a player he is at age 22, then he can buzz around and pick things up, but you're asking an awful lot of him to do that. Um, so it's, it's funny the point though you make about like he's not had the chance to pick his, his first eleven, and he's not really. Uh, Ryan Flynn's been out most of the season. You think he would probably start alongside uh, fully in the centre yeah. with, with everybody fit. They've really got a lack of depth in, in defence, and that's partly due to him as well. I mean, maybe maybe there was finances, but they do seem to have like a lot of midfielders, uh, and they do have four forwards as well. Uh, none of them playing particularly well at the moment. And you think, well. You know, maybe like a, a backup set and a half, so you don't have to continually play midfielders there would, would be a, a start. But also as well, I don't see why he continually doesn't pick Cammy McPherson. He's undoubtedly the best actual footballer in the yeah. kind of midfield core, and he doesn't get a game. Uh, it kind of speaks to the way that Goodwin has really gone about this season. And that I said this the other day, I think it was in the chat actually, I said that, that I think Goodwin deserved a lot of props last year for the job he did because St Mirren's last, summer last year was a farce and their, their team was thrown together at the last minute and a lot of those players, well, a few of those players uh, took quite a bit of time to bed in. If you think about Abika, Dermis, even guys who haven't even turned very good. Marias is still better now than he was when he yeah. first you know, played and there was quite a few members of the squad like that. So he was able to kind of create this you know, unity, this collective that was better than the sum of its parts. And going into this year, 
a lot of those guys have proven to be better than the first look. Dermot thrived last season, eh, ended last season very well. Obika was obviously very good as well. The, the, he's able to make it his squad. They've added some decent bits in Shaughnessy and Tate. But who both gets both get themselves sent off? Aye, both get themselves sent off, which doesn't help. But they've just like they've been so kind of it's boring to watch. Like really kind of overly pragmatic. I think now that he's been able to survive last year and the kind of poor hand that was almost dealt to him with coming in as late as he did because they, they couldn't get the own Kiri situation sorted. Now, now he's had the time. Now he's had a couple of. He's now had three transfer windows to make it his own team, and I think it's. I think that just says a lot for the way he wants to play football. He wants to be direct. He wants to be more defensive. He doesn't seem to to appreciate what McPherson brings to the team. Every time I think he's played this season, some men have looked better, and yet he, he never seems to get a start. Yep, and and like I say, just the the goalkeeping situation shocking. This is red card. Tate's red card now, as well. Just. It just—it must be so frustrating for him because, like you say, he is improving players. The squad has improved immeasurably since last season as well, and it's just the, the frustration that he must have for that is just just unbelievable. Um, what I did really enjoy as well—I'm sort of jumping back and forth here—but I thought I was really impressed by Adrian Sporler on uh, United's left-hand side. I know it was it last season when he came in. Uh, I think we—I think we spoke. Certainly, a lot of people spoke. Him he, yeah, he looked wild as a left back, but as a it's weird because he's not a winger. He's not a, a defensive midfielder. He's just like a like an old style sort of left like left hand midfielder, um, which again is not necessarily a bad option for Dundee United as well. If that frees Jamie Robson to then go on the overlap, gives Harks the ability to to get himself forward a little bit more. If Spawner's going to talk a little bit, he's not terribly terrible going forward either. Um, so it's just the, the way in which he's sort of grown into his, his role at United as well, I've been quite impressed with as well. Yeah, um, his awareness for a, right, uh, for a fullback is terrible, so you can't really play yeah. him there without him being yeah. a, a defensive liability. And it's, it's one of the rare occasions where somebody going, I just play him in left midfield, might actually work. And I think it's like, there that you can see that his technique kind of bears out, and he's, he's not a bad crosser of the ball either. No. Um, but yeah, it's been. It was more than anything just quite an entertaining game. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Richard Tate's tackle was just. I, I, I've always really liked Richard Tate because he plays the game quite angry. Like he play, always plays the game with a swagger and a bit of arrogance about it as well. And that picture of him going nose to nose with Dedrick Boy, I was is one of my favourite Richard Tate memories. Um, but that was just. It just looked very much just a case of I've had fuck. I've had enough of this. I'm fucking raging today. <laughs> I'm just absolutely throw myself into it. But. Uh, not not the best thing. <laughs> not the best thing I've ever seen for something as well that's just wanted to raise generally as well. But uh, having watched Motherwell on Thursday um, and having Tommy Wright on the telly uh, doing the co-coms, Tommy Wright seems to be appearing more and more um, on sort of co-coms and around the league and doing bits and pieces. Just kind of, and, and again, I know from hearing stories with various guys that end up on the radio, the reason they do it is not as far from the money. It's more just the case to remind people that they still exist. Yes. Um, and for about half the managers in the league, Tommy Wright continuing to turn up on the radio or on the telly must be kind of just a little bit worrying and a little bit concerning because if it gets to the suggestion is that by the, I think he agreed with St Johnston he wouldn't take a job anywhere else in Scotland by the end of the year. But that's not all that far away at this yeah. point. Like if you, There's any number of clubs who are, if they're sitting second bottom with, as, as you reach Christmas and then we're down to lockdown six, lockdown return or some nonsense like that, and then it's a case of well, you've got you're going to have three weeks out 
do you just go, well, we'll bite the bullet and we'll, we'll empty our manager and then there's Tommy Wright to bring us up for the rest of the season and then he can go and fuck off and do whatever it is else he wants to do next. It's, it must be just a little bit alarming for a bunch of people. I'm looking to see who sitting there and I've got in the next two. Holt McKillie and Await Aberdeen. Oh, that's... Because they, they're in a malaise right now. They, they started the season pretty well, but ever since that St. Johnston game, really, they've been pretty poor. And yeah. not just... I mean, United, United game, I think they were maybe a little bit unfortunate. But then again, kind of your, your best couple of chances fall to Lee Irwin, who's not been a consistent goal scorer at any point in yeah. his career. Maybe about a wee six-month period at the start with, with Motherwell. Yep. Other than that, Abika as well, I think we've said it a few times, I quite like Abika as a player. He's not playing well recently. And even if he is playing well, you're, again, you're going to be lucky if you get a dozen goals out of him. So that's kind of, that's also maybe a problem as well with, with Goodwin wanting to line up this way, um, wanting to go direct, get the ball to these forwards, get balls in the box. Yeah, you could do that and they could cause issues, but their finishing's not great. So what are you getting at the end of the day? You're, you're upsetting defenders, but you're not maybe doing much to the, to the final score. And in addition to that, they need to go into these two games, uh, St. John's the game, which you look at and go, that's a winnable tie. And then you go to Aberdeen, which, again, <laughs> you would have said that's a difficult tie until today, but then fuck knows. Um, <laughs> but you need to go into both of those games. I don't I don't think, I, don't, I was having a, a look through the score, I'm not sure St. Mirren have another left back. So again, you're going to have to shift something, whether it's going to be Erehan goes out there as well, because he's played fullback again before, or whether they're going to put somebody else in there. Like, it's just, it, it, it must be a, a difficult situation to find yourself in. And again, I kind of, as much as I don't necessarily agree with him regarding the, the sort of idea of postponements around these, because he had no goalkeepers, like, this is what this season's going to be and this is what everyone's going to have yeah. to deal with. Um, I think it's been, it's, it's been made really clear to the clubs that that's what will happen. The games will go ahead because there's no other, there's no other time to play them. So if you, if you have players out, then suck it up and go on so you're going to have to have youth players that are ready to step in you're going to have to have a squad which is big enough and deep enough to deal with that um, and at the moment St Mirren don't don't think Dundee United do so it's going to be I think I think, it, I think it's, it's not a criticism of them particularly but I think it's a, the majority of clubs in the league so you're going to have to ask a lot of youth players to get very smart very quickly or you're just going to have to be incredibly careful with what you do Right I think that'll do us thank you very much Graham. Thank you very much, Craig. Cheers. And now I welcome Joel Sked onto the podcast. Joel, we're here to talk about two games, the first of which had a very funny first 20 minutes. Aberdeen nil, Model 3, that was the score after 20 minutes. It remained for that for the rest of the game. And yeah, what a start. <laughs> what a start in the northeast. Yeah, it was, it was it was quite incredible. It was, it's always for one of those where you, if you're not watching the game and you see how the the scoring comes in, and you just like you're really really looking forward to seeing how the game unfolds. And by and large, the first two goals were uh, not really anything that like Motherwell did um, extremely well. They were, they were given a, a helping hand big time in uh, both uh, both goals, especially the first one, uh, pun intended, with uh, Marley Watkinson's uh, actual. Handball. One of these is, is without kind of looking into the analysis of the game, this uh, this scenario it kind of just hammers home how much you miss crowd 
the crowd being there because if uh, if Motherwell went three 0 down in front of what say twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand at Pataudry, then it would have just been that atmosphere would just turned, and that would be one of the moments of the weekend when the third goal went in with McGabby, the the booze that rained down from the stands, and then folk leaving. It, you're really missing uh, missing that essence out. Yeah, it's, it's not the same when people are just turning off their, their pay-per-view subscriptions, <laughs> closing yeah. a browser it's, uh, quietly in their own home. It's not quite the same kind of visceral impact. Yeah, you do miss, you miss the boon, you miss yeah, people leaving out, you also miss you know, people standing up and you know, throwing their arms in disgust and just needed to vent some sort of frustration because it was, I mean, I picked Aberdeen to win this one. I even, trying to get ourselves back into our fantasy football competition, I even picked Marley Watkins as my captain, going a bit kind of left field, trying to, mm-hmm. trying to claw back some points on the guys at the top of the table. And that did, to say that didn't work is a, a massive understatement. <laughs> I haven't even checked how many points he got me. I can only imagine it was negative because somebody conceded a penalty as well and didn't score. Uh, but it was an incredible start to the game. But, I mean, Aberdeen did give him a helping hand, but at the same time, Motherwell were the, the better side for throughout the, throughout the opening 20 minutes. So, I mean, 3-0, yeah, there's a degree of luck to, to get to that many goals, but it wasn't like they didn't deserve to be ahead. No, definitely not. I think a lot of credit has to go down to go to Stephen Robinson in the way that the, is, the way he put out his team and how he wanted them to play. You talk about like they were the better team for the first 20 minutes. They were just the better team throughout the whole 90, I think, that... They had a game plan and it really worked. Aberdeen played into Motherwell's game plan perfectly because Aberdeen wanted to play through midfield and then into into Ryan Hedges and Scott Wright, who've been done have done really well by playing behind Watkins off late. When you have someone who someone like uh, Funzo Ojo, he was, he came in for didn't come in for McCrory, but McCrory moved to the defence and Funzo uh, Ojo came in. And sometimes they just think uh, maybe the pace of the game he just he doesn't he doesn't quite um, quite doesn't quite appreciate what's required in Scottish football to to really put his stamp there. Because I think yeah, I think he is a, a decent enough player, but you compare him to McCrory in that role or on the other side. Campbell. Campbell was absolutely immense. Campbell had a pole worth. The way that the, the midfield three, they backed off when they needed to back off and then when the ball went into midfield, they would spring, try to win, win it and hit uh, Aberdeen on the counter-attack. And that just happened time and time again. The amount of interceptions or um, just kind of nicking the ball away that uh, Motherwell did and they, they broke forward was, was fantastic. And it really helped with two mobile intelligent strikers I think Chris Long gave Ash Taylor an absolute chase and I'd like to come back and talk to talk about Ash Taylor in particular but uh, Long and, and what their partnership was, was really really good in terms of Long going in behind what comes short and being that player that we certainly uh, saw in a heart strip where you could tell he was a really 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 good football player his touch was excellent but he maybe just doesn't have that, that, that goal for it the McInnes changed his team, so he changed it in midweek for the trip to Viking, and that obviously kind of worked out the match mm-hmm. to win the game in, and you know, reasonably comfortably as well. And then the, the visit of Motherwell, they go back to the, the three at the back. Now, the three at the back has been working very well in Scottish football, and 2020 hindsight is a great thing. I think that, with the exception of, of playing McCrory out of midfield, maybe we can maybe come on to talk about that. I think that he's, his team looked relatively okay other than that, uh, but... I think watching the match, a problem that he perhaps didn't account for, and I certainly didn't really account for before the game was played, was that 
Watt and Long as a partnership, and either Watt or Lang as well. When when he's been in there, they the the forwards have been very good at running the channels and mm. their kind of movement. And that was something that Aberdeen. I only watched the first half because I don't think there was really any need to to watch any more than that. Uh, but the 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 movement of they two, uh, either going into the channels or dropping deep, that they pulled the Aberdeen back three each way and every way, and they were able. I think that was a kind of build up to the opening goal. Yeah, it was that they got down the kind of outside of the centre backs in, in the space kind of that's that's free when when you're playing with wing backs, especially where wing backs is attacking and as Hayes and McGinn are going to be. And I wonder just you know with with the chance to do so again whether McInnes was just stuck with the the four four two that that worked a bit better in midweek. Uh, to go back to your point about Ojo, are we sure he's actually any good? Because I'm not certain. I don't see him do anything other than make five-yard passes yeah, sideways or backwards. And when he tries to do anything going for, in fact, in the first half, did he even touch the ball in the final third? To answer your latter question first, I don't think he did, no. Uh, to be, to answer your first question, I'm just trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've seen anything for fun Jojo in an Aberdeen shot that makes me say that he's, he's a, a good player. And it's weird because I did... I really liked the look of him when I kind of scouted him before he arrived at Aberdeen. But I thought one aspect of his game that just seems to be completely missing is he, he seemed quite, you know, he seemed quite involved in the play. He seemed quite up and down, like a lot of energy. And he just really doesn't play with that energy, Aberdeen. At the game at the weekend, you're absolutely right. He seemed to be, you know, playing almost in a different match in terms of the tempo he was wanting to play. His spatial awareness is pretty poor as well. And like I say, every time he tries to pass the ball forward, very rarely is anything progressive it's either yeah, a simple it's, ball or he's given it away it's never it's this it, passing there's never any purpose to his passing I think the, the one in the first half was a really simple ball out to Hedges he just didn't play with enough pace or uh, he didn't fire in and it gave Motherwell the chance to turn over in transition and that's it's just played into Motherwell's hands and he he compared it to when McCrory went back into midfield after half time Within five minutes, O'Hara was trying to break free, and McCrory was uh, was on him, and he just uh, he just thumped in a tackle and stopped that going from Motherwell um, kind of midfield into attack and really getting Aberdeen. So the, the McCrory, I think, is more than good enough to play. I think he was play centre back. He's one of those where Aberdeen could uh, could do two or three of them. Again, Tommy Hoban, I can understand why McInnes hasn't played him because of his injuries issues. He's played in midweek. He's played a lot of football in a relatively short space of time. So this game might have been seen as ideal to uh, replace him. But with McKenna also being dropped, I think it was too big a change at the back. Yeah, and also you need to play. Ross McCrory's been excellent in the midfield. He's been the catalyst for Aberdeen being better this season. And he seems to bring the best out of Ferguson as well. And them two in the centre would have allowed maybe Aberdeen to be able to play kind of the old, the old Stephen Robinson kind of way he puts it. You know, you, you fight to play kind of thing. Yeah. That's what Aberdeen could have done. They could have had McCrory and Ferguson fighting and that might have opened up a few more avenues for the likes of Wright, Hedges, McGinn, Hayes to, to get into the game and so for Aberdeen to play it as they have been recently. To, to take basically what's been essentially your best player and then play him in a position where he's not at his best. And it just, I thought, ah, yeah, I thought that was a, a dumb move. And he could have even, Shea Logan at, at this stage of his career, we're not, we're not huge fans of him, we, we used to be, but he's obviously not been that great the last few seasons as he's got older. But he could still, for a, for a kind of smaller 
fullback, he is kind of deceptively strong and not too bad in the air. And I think he could have played that right back, uh, sorry, right centre back position and allowed McCrory to, to step into the middle. You, you talked about it earlier on about how Motherwell tried to take advantage down the flanks behind Hazem again. Logan would be the kind of ideal for coming across as, as a fullback, coming across into those areas and being able to uh, put up a and put kind of put up a better fight. I mean, you can we can say personnel and stuff, but it comes down to Ash. For example, Ash Taylor should be doing a lot better than that. That forty-five minutes it was. I it was comical. His forty-five minutes on the pitch there was one. So he. There was a last-ditch challenge within the first five minutes, I think, that could, um, that could easily have been a penalty. If, um, not that it was a penalty, that could he, it was a type of challenge that a second later, a millisecond later, that was a penalty and he could have been off. Then he gave away the foul for the opening, or how the penalty, uh, the penalty arose. And then he, there, was one, there was one moment where the long ball came in and he went to, he went to head it, but... He went to head it forward and away from danger, but all it did look like he was all he did was trying to cushion it to his side. It was just so bizarre. He piled into the back of um, Long. He piled into the back of what? He just he just seemed so intrigued. It was like it was it was the worst traits of Ash Taylor uh, in forty five minutes of football. Yeah, there was even Alan Campbell had a shot in the turn that Taylor, uh, Taylor failed to block. There was also I think Long going down the the right hand side of the penalty box. Taylor just allowed him far too easy to get across, mm. and it was a horrendous half of football. Like no doubt about it. Don't like not going to exaggerate at all. It's, you're going to see very few worst halves of football from a player this season. And Aberdeen fans, I think, have turned on, on Taylor yet again. I think last year they were pleasantly surprised, weren't happy at the signing. He was in, like immediately injured, missed like three months. But once he came in, he actually performed fairly well last campaign. Mm-hmm. Surprised a lot of people with his performances. But already uh, fans are like, no, like we need to sign. Because it doesn't look like... The talk is that with McKenna going, Aberdeen are not going to sign another player. Or not going to at least bring anybody in for kind of any sort of decent money. Because the players that they have brought in have already kind of been signed with the knowledge that McKenna was likely to go in this transfer window and that's helped facilitate those signings of McCrory, of Watkins. And so therefore, there's probably not going to be much in the way of funds coming in from McKenna's transfer fee that's going to be reinvested back into the squad. But I think they need to get another centre-half, at least someday to play when Hoban has to sit out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We should probably talk about Motherwell uh, because they, they won the game and uh, definitely the better side. We mentioned them a bit already, like say that their movement was good, but we should now just probably spend the rest of this game talking about how good Alan Campbell is. Yeah, absolutely. The, it's getting to the point where every week he's just their, their, their star man because I think they, they made noted that I think he's the only Motherwell player to have been in your team of the week two times. All right. And he, he just, he just, he's just so... Kind of, he has become a that totemic player for, for, for Motherwell. Derek McInnes spoke about him after the match, just saying that he's the, t- the type of midfield, he, he wanted his midfielders to do what Alan Campbell's doing. There's so many times you're watching Alan Campbell and you think, okay, that's great, he's intercepting on the, um, on the edge of his own box. Seconds later, he's just bursting forward past the strikers. He just, he just seems to be everywhere, everywhere at once and he never seems to tire. And the fact that he doesn't really... I, I, I like... I like seeing him 
For example, Lyndon Dykes, I like, you just like seeing him because he would uh, rough up players and you could tell that he was just enjoying it. He would do a smile on his face. Alan Campbell, he just never really seems to smile when he plays. It just, there just seems to be a constant aggression and I, I really like that. And he's just like, right, even if they're winning 5-0 with uh, two minutes to go, he's going to barrel into that challenge. And having players like that in your team is absolutely massive for when like the, the chips are down, which you weren't here. And having that attitude to rub on uh, rub off onto other players, and he's out of contract in next summer. And if, if I was if I was someone coming into Scotland uh, or building my own team, and I was able to pick players from here and there, like Alan Campbell would be one of the first players I would pick to build a team within the Scottish Premiership. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're if you're looking at like Aberdeen Hearts, Hibs, if you if you've got any money next season, you have to be thinking that you could go. I mean, I'd go as early as possible and say, "Mother, well, can we maybe do some sort of deal here? <laughs> maybe you can keep him for the rest of the campaign, but we can give you a couple hundred thousand now if he's not going to sign a new deal." But you have to think because the way that his form is on, the way that his form is right now, if he continues to play like this, and he, he is somebody because he's a young player, he's gone through kind of peaks and troughs throughout his career, but. In terms of like his impact in the final third, he's always like a consistently good player to have in the team. But the kind of the impact he's having on games at the moment, and the the fact that he's doing it every single week is something that we've not quite seen before. But if he continues like this, he's going to be far too good for anybody. Uh, <laughs> if he continues like this, he might even be too good for Rangers and Celtic to look at. <laughs> but I don't I don't know if he can keep this up throughout the, the rest of the campaign. But uh, if, he, if he if he manages to replicate these sort of performances that we've seen the last few weeks, then talking about clubs like Aberdeen Hearts Ribs would be pointless because he'd be too good for that level. Yeah, absolutely. See, he's, he's talked about it because he's obviously scored against, he scored a win against St. Johnston, he scored for the 21s against Lithuania. He's talked about it and he wants to add more goals to the game. If he can do that, then he is, he's, teams down in England are just going to come up and blow teams out here uh, out of the water in terms of money they can offer. But I would like say to teams, like he could have the same trajectory as as someone like John McGuin, John McGinn when he left St Mirren and he went to Hibs and kicked on and now look where he is and when McGinn left Hibs I thought Campbell was the type of player that he could do to bring him and even if maybe not replace McGinn what McGinn brought to the team straight away mould him into that uh, kind of that fashion Right let's move on uh, to the game at McDermott Park that is St Johnson nil, Ross County 1 I haven't seen this game but I have seen the highlights I've read up a little bit on it Joel, first question, what is wrong with St. Johnson? Uh, they cannot... There's a real lack of composure in the final third. I don't think that's the only reason that they're, they're not um, picking up results. I was curious to... I, when I messaged to say, can we talk about this game? Because I wanted to watch St. Johnson. I've probably not watched uh, St. Johnson enough so far this season. Only seen them two or three times. And read kind of read comment uh, kind of comment pieces about them I've read uh, St Johnson fans what they've had to say kind of read what Callum Davidson said and by and large it sounds like St Johnson have been playing really well uh, been really entertaining so I was keen to see whether that was was the case and it was against Ross County they, they were really good and it was easy to see why they are why, why, why they got a lot of uh, positive press recently and there's a lot to like about them, just their balance. I like the balance at the back where you've got you've got Jason Kerr who just bombs forward. He, he overlaps, he underlaps, he becomes he, he becomes an auxiliary attacking player. Jamie McCart is a bit more uh, 
he's, he's probably a bit more of the organiser. He's good at passing out from the back. He doesn't charge forward as much. I think he's uh, just a, a really all-rounded good defender. Liam Gordon, not great with the ball, but again, he's, one of, he's more of a stopper kind of type. Then you've got Liam Craig, who was anchoring midfield, which allowed David Wotherspoon and Ali McCann to push forward. There's a chance in the first half, which you've seen, which allowed... I think the formation allows those two to get into the box, and you've seen that with Ali McCann. Probably should have done better if I Stevie made cutback. Tans, I think it was McNamara's one of, one of his quieter games, but Tanzer, a lot went through Tanzer down the left-hand side, had a good game. May and Hendry did a lot of work. They ran the channels. But... It does seem like when it gets into the final third, they just real they lack a real cutting edge. They have thirty two crosses uh, throughout the match, and they just they just didn't seem to be <clears throat> that composure or kind of uh, how would you say it? Kind of like like a a plan when you got into the final third, right? He's going to make that run. He's going to make that run. He's going to be at the back post. They're just it, it, it kind of just seemed to be. Let's see how. Let's see how things develop. Kind of like, uh, kind of like Craig Levine, uh, his kind of second tenure at Hearts, but they didn't do. Hearts never actually seem to have any kind of attacking moves that they go to, like plays drawn up or anything. Like somebody makes a run, somebody makes a run, and then you, you beat the opposition that way. It just seemed to be, especially from the way that Levine spoke, it was more about, oh, we just need to have creative players in the final third, and they'll kind of figure it out themselves. I would, I wouldn't bring Callum Dave Davison down to that level. I think there is. <laughs> There's, there's method and there's a lot of method and work that goes into how St. Johnson played to get into the final third but it just seems like it was uh, it was just a, at times a bit all over the place with their, their, their finishing they had I think 11 shots and it was only until the last in stoppage time where they really tested Ross Laidlaw so they, they, they presented they had good opportunities May and like I said May and Henry they did a lot of really good work but when it comes down to it, this season, they've having they've had the third most shots in the league. <coughs> they've got the worst success rate of getting them on target, which, uh, which 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 says a lot. Callum Hendry is someone I tipped to score fifteen plus goals this season. He's not been great. Watching him against Mullerwell last last week, his header honestly, his header was so 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 bad, and he's a he's, he's a player that I thought could be a uh, Lyndon Dykes type for. St. Johnston, where he could ruffle up opposition centre-backs. He could be that target man and a focal point that, that's required. But by all accounts, I think that's that's something that St. Johnston needs and that's something that Hendry's not been providing them with yet. They have, uh, they've made a conscious effort, I think, this year. That's been one of the main differences between Davidson's team and Wright's team for me is the amount of crosses they want to get into the penalty area. They, they've tried, mm-hmm. they, they've attempted the second most crosses in the league, which is what uh, the stat that Julie Fleeting uh, brought up on Sports Scene on Saturday night. And I think that's, I can't remember what they were last year, but I think that's, that's higher than, than what Wright's team was. And a lot of that is to do with Hendry. I think he's trying to build his attack around Hendry's kind of prowess in the air. I think that's what mm-hmm. the kind of Craig, Craig Conway signing was about and why he's played so much despite, with the exception of the St. Mern game, not playing very well because his kind of main attribute is getting balls into the penalty area. And with Hendry not firing, I think they need to try and figure out another way because if he's not going to, to be that kind of lynchman as he... As he looked like, I agree with you, I, I think he, he looked like he was, the way he ended last season, he was going to come into this campaign, hit the ground running and kind of 
emerge as a kind of burgeoning star in this league, and that's really not been the case. I think the fact that he's not had a goal so far probably hasn't helped. His confidence will be down a little bit. I had that perfectly good goal against Aberdeen stood. Things might be different for him, but they're not. He's underperforming, and if Johnson are, are going to base a lot of their attack through him, then that's a, a big issue. You need to they need to have a plan B at this moment in time. Uh, one thing, well, from the way you spoke there, it sounds like that he's allowed Ali McCann off the leash a bit more in this game because he was the kind of sitting midfielder in a lot of matches and St Johnson fans weren't happy about that. Yeah, I th- looking at the, when I seen the formation on YSL, which is never usually wrong, <clears throat> it, looked, it seemed like it was Liam Craig and Ali McCann as a, as a two, but the way I, the way I saw it, it they kind of it seemed like the midfield had flipped with uh, Liam Craig at the base and a bit more license for McCann to get get McCann to get forward. I'd still like to like to have seen him a bit more involved because again, a lot of the play you mentioned crosses a lot of the play is focused on getting the ball wide. You 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 mentioned that the St John's had the second most crosses in the league this season. They've got the worst accuracy. So their accuracy has gone from last season. They, I think, last season they were like fifth for most crosses. But last season they had an accuracy, second best accuracy of thirty four percent. It's went down to twenty six uh, this season. So there's there are issues for the. Um, so there's obviously issues there. But I would quite like to see more go through the centre because they do have good players there with Wotherspoon, uh, Wotherspoon and and Ali McCann, but. I'll, Another issue of it was when a lot of the crosses were being put in by May or Hendry, so they were doing a lot of good work and like splitting, uh, running the channels, and then it just they just don't have enough maybe an, enough quality attacking targets in the final third to really convert their pressure. But I mean, overall they, they were really enjoyable to watch. Some of the football they played was uh, was was excellent. I think they've had a lot of praise from teams who understand that St Johnson are are going to have a lot of pos- uh, lot of possession and try and look control the game, which I'm, I'm surprised about because Callum Davidson said he wasn't going to change much uh, from Tommy Wright. Not only change much, like uh, he's he's mixed around the formation and he's I think he's kind of changed the philosophy certainly around Big Damage Park in terms of playing style. Every every manager fucking says this and end up like. Remember Catherine Hart? I'm not going to change it for the Olsen's team. Completely changed it. Yeah. <laughs> It's a completely different style of play. Got rid of most of the players as soon as possible. Brought these other ones. Yeah, I'm not going to change it. Things aren't, things aren't broken. Well, every manager says it's always fucking bullshit. <laughs> right, uh, before I finish, uh, Ross County, uh, they did win the game, but not a great performance overall. Uh, again, sports scene highlighted it. Pretty interesting stat. Only four touches in the St. Johnson box all game. Uh, debatable whether it was five touches and one of those was Alex uh, Icaviti uh, with saying that he got, he got an ear to, to Viger's um, cross. Didn't, didn't, I didn't look like it. One thing, actually, just as a quick aside, I thought Robert Parrish could have done... Not Elliot Parrish. Every fucking time, <laughs> Elliot Parrish could have done better uh, with that because he's over at that side anyway. And I don't know, I just think a good yeah. goalkeeper follows the flight of the ball a bit more. Yeah, there was a couple of things in that. The so, first of all, that you can have all the chances you want as a first in Johnson, but when you've got a goalkeeper, a goalkeeper like Elliot Parish who isn't Premiership quality, there's, they always run the risk of losing games, drawing games, dropping points, which they have done over the last few weeks. Looking at the the ball, there was very little pace on it, so 
if you've got a commanding goalkeeper, he comes and meets that when it gets to, I think, the six-yard box and just punches it because he would have to go through two bodies. But just come, to, uh, clean bodies out, uh, use both fists, punch it away. That's, it's cleared. But I think Parrish is a goalkeeper who is not keen to come off his line. No. Most and of them in this league aren't. Yeah, and that doesn't really help teams. So, County themselves... How, how well? Let me ask this question: How was uh, you know European phenom Ollie Shaw in this match? Because he started obviously with Billy Mackay out of the lineup through injury. So I have so far watched three and a half games from the Premiership uh, this weekend, and he right is not quite Ash Taylor bad, but he's uh, he's in that ballpark. He's rubbish. So this was I was actually quite keen to uh, keen to watch him because Billy McKay had obviously well, obviously wasn't playing and it was a big chance for Ollie Shaw came in in January he's he's barely uh, kind of barely featured or certainly barely started he just there's just it just seems so easy to defend against I would quite like to defend against him because I think I could do a decent job about uh, job against him because he I don't think he's got the the wit that Billy, Billy McKay has he. I think is a bit too lightweight. I think he can be easily easily bullied by defenders, especially when you look at defenders. So he's a lone striker going up against a back three. So as a back three, you really need to you really need to work your arse off. You really need to offer yourself in behind, but also come short. It's it's a really really difficult a really difficult task, but it's it's, it's doable. And he just didn't do it. The ball when the ball did go up to his feet so many times his second touch was a tackle that kind of that cliche but it, it, it generally was he never looked threatening at all so it was a really really disappointing it was a really disappointing performance from him as, as a whole attacking wise it wasn't that great from County uh, Yakaviti and Cole Donaldson were their best players so that said a lot Right so unless you've got anything else to say about County I think that'll do us uh, going through players uh, I still don't know how Ross Laidlaw's uh, Ross doing must be rubbish <laughs> yeah, yeah I think I'm even, even though Laidlaw, Laidlaw didn't have a bad game didn't have uh, very much to do but it's still, still well, he's bad. made about what five mistakes already this season and the, the backup goalie who I think a lot of people expected to be number one who's still on the bench yeah uh, Ross doing must be doing absolutely nothing in training to, to put Laidlaw under any pressure even the save towards the end from Murray Davison, now that's folk to go, to, to go and watch it back. I'm sure. So he saves it. But if you look at his, if you look at his eye, kind of eye line, or the way he wants, like his body shape, it looks like he wants to push it out to his right, uh, push it away, and he ends up just pushing it left. So even when he does stuff right, he does stuff wrong. <laughs> oh, poor little boy. Oh, well. Right, thank you very much, Joe. No, your problem. Uh, your problem, no problem. <laughs> No problem, you're welcome. Or your problem, no welcome. No welcome. <laughs> and now to finish off the podcast, I welcome on Mr. Tom Watt. Tom, let's start with a game at Celtic Park as Neil Lennon's men defeated Livingston 3-2, meaning that they, well, coupled with Rangers results, are very much back in the driving seat in Scottish football, even if they aren't quite top of the table yet, as they still have a game in hand due to Bully Bullingoy's indiscretion. As for this game, see, you agree with me here. I think that Celtic were very clinical, but not necessarily very good. Is that fair? I think that's fair. Uh, I think that's fair. It's been 
It's a, it was a really weird game. Livy have a good record against Celtic anyway. I think Celtic have only won one. Prior to, prior to this game, Celtic had only won one of the last five. Um, and really strange game because in, in many ways, Celtic were head and shoulders above uh, Livingston. And when they had their opportunities, they were really clinical. Uh, they could, this game could easily have been 4-0 and you wouldn't have thought too much of it. Could easily have been three all, <laughs> very very easily three all. Um, so I mean, I, I guess the the worrying thing for for the rest of Scottish football is that Celtic are within touching distance at the top again, and I don't think they've really had a performance yet this season where they would say they were even anything above sort of seven out of ten. I think they did enough. I don't. It, it didn't look like they they're they're still kind of getting to grips with the formation. Uh, Neil Lennon wants to play back three, which is fine. It does work better for some players than others. Um, and Livy caused them some problems, albeit the problems were from a penalty and an absolute worldy. Um, but I, I, yeah, a really strange game. Um, I think Celtic will be very happy to, to have taken the three points. At the same time, they could have absolutely wiped the floor with Livingston. Strange game. Yes, and talking about still getting to grips with the formation. Thank you. That's just my shopping falling over. Uh, the Greg Taylor had a good game going forward. First half, especially. Second half, he was a lot more quiet. Um, but first half, he kind of really impacted the game. Got an assist. When Greg Taylor's playing like that, I think they don't really have many problems in the formation. It's just the fact that he really can't be counted upon to be such a threat as a, an attacking wing back on a, any kind of real consistent basis at this point in his career. And so that's an issue. He's really their only natural option out there that they've tried Forrest. They've, I mean, there's other things I suppose they could maybe try and do. El Yunusi, would he be a wing back? Doesn't really sound very good on the defensive end, does it? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's the, the problem that they've got is that if Lennon wants to play a back three, and it does sound like he wants to play a back three, and it does sound like you know recruited Duffy, so because he's very good in a back three, they don't have like they've already got issues at fullback, and you know they've they've got this bowling goalie is back and has been exiled to Turkey. Uh, this time you'd assume Celtic know about it, um, <laughs> but they've already got issues at, at fullback, and the one exciting natural fullback that the, the you know the one the one option one of the, the big bright sparks from last season was Frimpong who actually seems kind of hindered by like I, I totally agree with you that Celtic were good on the left hand side they were a real threat every time they went down the left every time they went down the right it looked kind of stilted and I think perversely Frimpong is a better attacking threat when he's got a bit of space to run into. No, it's that extra uh, degree of surprise, isn't it? It's like Andy yeah. Robertson for like Liverpool and Andy Robertson for Scotland if he's playing at wing pack. Yeah, exactly that. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a very subtly different position playing fullback or wingback. But basically when you're uh, a fullback, you tend to have, you know, you've got time to get up ahead of steam. There's generally space to run into. Um, and you're, you're kind of playing on the overlap. If you're playing as a wingback, you're not necessarily playing on overlap, you're, you're looking more to overload. So it's more about getting beyond your one man, beat, beat your one man, get beyond. It's, it's wing backs more in common with a winger than a fullback, I think. But um, 
the the personnel that Celtic have playing out wide at the moment. You know, at the moment, Frimpong is not as good as a wing back as he would be a full back, and there are other options. James Forrest, who's not as good a wing back as he would be just being a winger. Yeah, and it was it was interesting that Forrest was dropped for this one with Frimpong coming in. I think it did actually, despite the fact that Forrest ended up scoring what would prove to be the winning goal against St Mirren from wing back. I thought it did work better with Frimpong in there. I just think he looks more comfortable in that kind of role than Forrest does uh, at this stage. I think Forrest could have easily been moulded into a brilliant wing-back early in his career, but I think that that time has been and gone and he wants to be a little bit more further forward, playing a little bit more centrally, even like cutting, like drifting in from the right. And it's kind of harder to do that when you, when you are playing as a wing-back. I think elsewhere in the team, I think 3-5-2 suits Christie is an auxiliary striker than it does if he's playing up front. And <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> one. Uh, I thought he had a very good game. I think um, I thought both McGregor and Cham had really good games as well. McGregor's movement, which is highlighted by Sports Team, was very good. I thought Cham was, was excellent at recycling the play and, and winning it back for Celtic. He he had one of those matches where, well, basically, when Cham plays with any sort of urgency and, and tempo, he's a very good well he's an outstanding player at this league it's when he plays matches where he looks like he can barely be arsed there's a problem but when he's on that kind of form he should be like an automatic pick in a team it's just that they are you know they've got a number of players now they've also got David Turnbull David Turnbull's now like fourth choice at Celtic and that would be a shame for him because he's a much better player than somebody who could only come in for like 10 minutes every now and again because once Edward Edward obviously sat this game out. Lennon said he was fatigued. That kind of, to me, that makes a little bit of sense. He was injured, came right back into France and played two games in a week. I can understand why he would be a bit tired, and it makes sense that if you can, if you're confident enough to get the three points, you get three goals, and you don't necessarily need your top scorer. There, there are going to be bigger games down the road where you will need him. But to me, it, it keeps going back. I'm going to sound like a broken record here. It's going to sound like a picking on Scott Brown. I don't see. The three-five-two certainly does not suit Scott Brown because I think when Celtic are playing that formation, they're typically going against one forward and mm-hmm. a team that are not providing a lot of support to that one forward throughout a game. So they've got that extra layer of protection. When Celtic play a back four, obviously the fullbacks are pushed very high up the park, as Celtic would obviously do, because there's you know, no, usually nobody within about 30 yards of them from the opposition, so they may as well go stand up. So Scott Brown can have more of an impact on the defensive end by being that kind of auxiliary centre-back. We've seen him doing it a lot of times. He kind of even drops between the two defenders as well so they can split out when Celtic have possession. And a three, he can't do that. And it really limits his impact on the ball. And I think it even kind of takes away from what he's there to do off the ball because they have that extra layer of protection already. They don't need just a sitting player who's going to do little else in front of the back four. Sorry, in front of the back three. Now, if he does what he done at one point in this game, which is kind of charge forward and, and won a corner, because he, I mean, he's obviously lost a bit, but he's still kind of got that natural athleticism, then it maybe can be, maybe can find his place in, in this three-five-two. But for the meantime, I'm just kind of looking at it thinking, play in Cham there and get another one of your very talented centre mid, centre midfield number eights, number tens, playing ahead of Cham. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I think it's it's almost. You could on there's almost an argument that you, yes, you will extend Scott Brown's Celtic career by making him almost a passenger in the midfield, but you kind of need a bit more from him than that. And and the, you know, there is a lot of talent. There's an awful lot of players that are looking for for game time. Whether it's 
you know, you'd assume Ryan Christie's career is not going to be up front forever if, if uh, Lennon's still looking for another striker or if Edward's going to come back into the team. Um, and I think it's no, it's no slight on Brown that he's probably not, you know, the, the three, for the three to work, everybody needs to be quite dynamic and everybody needs to, there needs to be a lot of running for the, for the three to work. Um, you, get, you got that, I mean, McGregor was outstanding. I mean, it's, it's mad to me that it was his 50th Celtic goal. Like that doesn't, kind of doesn't compute because he's always weighs in with a few, but his 50th, like that's the same amount as Frank McAvenny. It's only a couple behind Sean <laughs> Maloney. Like Barry Ferguson scored 60 goals for Rangers and Callum McGregor has 50 for, it, that, that's crazy. He was, he was exceptional. Um, and I think that you can see it, he, the formation suits him because it gives him freedom to basically play where he wants to, to sit if he needs to sit, to push forward if he needs to sit. And he dictated that game. Like he was, he was picking passes. At, but yes, it was a deflection for his goal, but he was, he was picking passes. He was spraying all over the, uh, spraying passes all over the park. Just almost everything was going through him. It's the sort of thing that Scott Brown used to do. And I'm just not sure he, that he, he can um, anymore. I, I think the concern for Celtic with this formation is it's obviously meant to get the best out of certain players. But I mean, just just as the 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 back three has been for Scotland, you want to accommodate your best players as best you can. But at the moment, the squad has been built over a number of years to play a certain way, yeah. and I don't think in my in my opinion, Len Lennon might want to move into a three five two full time and bring in more players to do that, and that's fair enough. I don't have any problems with three five two. I have a problem with three four three, but three five two to be generally fine. But. I have to agree. I have to completely disagree with Lennon at this point in time. It does not suit his team better than four-two-three-one or or four-one-four-one because, as you said, the squad's just been built to be like that. There's just so many questions right now with the three-five-two that they are they are better in the four-two-three-one because so you don't have these problems at, at fullback with you know Frimpong could play in the overlap. Forrest is back in the team on the left. You got Elianusi because there's one. Once Elianusi's fit and up running, where the hell does he fit in a three-five-two? Is he fitting up and running, or is he just not getting a game? What the hell's happened to him? Then obviously, right. but then because of their um, because of what they've been doing in the transfer market, getting going out and getting another striker, then I suppose that is one question. If, if they if they revert stuff like a four two three one, who's you know Edward's always going to start up front, but then you've got kind of you almost like got a bottleneck there, haven't you? Where you've got a jetty. Klamala, well, you know, fuck Klamala, who cares? <laughs> but if Griffiths has got any future at Celtic as well, then they kind of they almost have to play to a front. I don't know whether Griffiths does have any future, but Lennon keeps kind of making noises that he does, but, you know, still not really seen him this season. So it's, yeah, there's a, there's a number of questions. But at the same time, you know, they've played seven games now? Seven games? One six, drawn one? Yeah. Probably yeah, going to win the league again. It's like I said. Like I said, it's it's kind of ominous that I, I don't think at any point in the season anyone's seen Celtic play and think, yeah, they're starting to click. But you know, nobody's really cost them any. And yes, there were there were there were opportunities in this for for Livingston. They 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 got their lead. It didn't last very long. Um, they got back into. Uh, you know they they go go back into uh, contention, well of some sort with uh, Serrano's hot uh, 
caught strike from the edge of the box. It's one of those ones where it's like, yeah, it doesn't go in the top corner, but he just hits it so hard. Yeah, it's nice to nice to see that it just flies past Marcus and the uh, Pinatello's chance in the very last minute where he what doesn't seem to doing? know. Well, he doesn't. Not only does he not know where the ball's gone, he doesn't seem to know where the ball's coming from either. It's, <laughs> he it's finishes the chance by facing uh, his own goal. I mean, what the yeah, hell is this? Sensational, sensational. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think um, Livingston were Livingston had had their moments, and um, but Celtic were ultimately fairly comfortable until the very last minute. Um, I think I think Livingston should just be a bit annoyed that the goals are conceded because, uh, like we've said, other the, the limited over the course of the ninety, what Celtic would be able to do. I think Celtic finished with an XG of like one point five or something, and we think yeah. that the two, the the goals two and three. We're very clear-cut chances, especially Christie's one. So that, that's going to account for a lot of that. And the yeah. defending for those two goals, the defending for the first one as well. I mean, it is, it is unlucky, but Devlin shouldn't be turning his back like that. He's if he's fronting up, just I know he's got to keep his hands behind his back in case it hits off his hands. But just don't turn your back. Let it hit you. <laughs> Let it hit you in the chest, yeah. in the face. Uh, you've got more control over where the ball's going if you do that. And then for the second one, I th- if I had to guess, I would say it's offside because. When when it's when it because when it's paused, Taylor is definitely behind the the right back, uh, the the three centre halves. Uh, but you just don't know where Serrano is. But when you see Serrano coming in the picture, when he's first in the picture, he's on the edge of the area running back to his own goal, which would say to me that he's already started running. And if that's the case, I would think because Taylor's very close to the box, the, the the line of the box himself. But there's no conclusive angle for it, so I can't exactly slide off an official. I just have if to give you, them the benefit of the doubt. And if you if you listen to the uh, YouTube highlights, you don't even need to listen to them very uh, very clearly. But Gary Holt very clearly screams, "He's fucking off!" I thought I thought it was Kieran Brown that showed that movie. I was it Kieran Brown? I thought it was Gary Holt. I, I thought, thought it was Kieran Brown. <laughs> but I wanted uh, it's a Scottish throw, accent anyway. Throw a little criticism at Kieran Brown for because he he sticks his hand in there and he slows his run. Just play it the whistle. You can yeah. put your hand in the air, but just don't forget about Ryan Christie running to the six-yard box, which he does for a second, and that's what costs him. Well, and I, the, third, I, the third goal is very poor as well. The, yeah. Bartley makes a really kind of half-assed attempt to, to slow down and charm in the centre. doesn't do it at all. And they're just very flat from that point forward. Ambrose comes out. Two defenders are following a jetty, and neither of them get anywhere near him. It's just... And McCrory also makes it a bit... I mean, the jetty's finish is really good, and he might have... It is really finished. If he, if he struck it like that with McCrory standing on his line, he still might have scored. Mm-hmm. But McCrory makes it a, makes his mind up for him a lot a lot easier rather than do I take a touch, do I hit it early? It's just easy enough. The goalie's here. Let me just knock it past him. Yeah, and I think for for Livingston, you could look at the score and you could look at the fact that they were all not unlucky, but they they could have taken a point and taken off a lot of positives from it. But I think the other. The worry for them is that for large parts of the game, and there was a the, the the McGregor goal. There's a point that they they have ten men inside their own box, and there were times in the game when that was happening for like a minute or two at a time, where they were defending their own box with nine or ten men like inside their own box. And um, so, yeah, you are going to look a little bit more solid defensively if you are literally park your entire squad so there's no space. Um, they are they are better than the position that they're in. Uh, I think they they the formation looks like a little bit more settled, and they do look a little bit more like there, there's there's more about them. But there's there's still a problem with them getting goals, even though they they got you know yeah they get two 
uh, but you know, a world a worldy from a a, a, a world in a penalty. A penalty. So I think I think they 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 do have concerns. I mean, the, the my last thing I've got and I've got two last points on this. Um, James and Alan Forrest both coming on as subs for opposing teams in the seventy fourth minute. That can't have happened very often. Two brothers coming on and no. I was, I was thinking that. I wonder if uh, Craig Anderson's got a stat for that. But he's not said anything, so I don't, don't think he has. It can't, I mean, it, it can't happen very often that you play that you play for opposite, opposing teams, but it happens maybe once a season for them both to be subs and for them both to come on for opposing teams. Yeah, it's a weird one. And, but also, as we touched on, uh, Klamala, who is now good for a sort of bad highlight reel every single time. <laughs> Two attempts at a pass that both get blocked and then throws himself at a challenge and gets booked. It's uh, it's not good. Yeah, you need a bit of comic relief. <laughs> yes. Anyway, let's get on to the, the last game from this podcast. The game at Rugby Park. Kelly winning 2-1 despite going down to 10 men in the first half just after conceding an equaliser as well. It looked like it was all falling apart for a team that were heavily favoured to win this one, especially with Hamilton missing two of their better players from last weekend in Ross Callaghan and Kyle Monroe after they tested positive for COVID-19. But Hamilton kind of laid an egg in the second half. Kelly with a better side, won the game, probably had the better chances to, to add to their score as well. What did you make of Aki's in this game? Because that's uh, quite a poor one to, to let slip completely and not even take a point from. Yeah, very, very unlike them. I mean, it's not unlike them to necessarily get outclassed. It's not necessarily unlike them to go to you know to go to Rugby Park and lose to one, but to get like so outplayed in the second half. And the weird thing was like, you no, know, laterally Kelly were throwing, were taking throw-ins that were landing in the six-yard box, and they were getting chances. It, it weirdly looked like. Um, you know, Brophy getting sent off opened up space, but it opened up much more space for uh, for Hamilton. And it didn't look like it was like they were pouring forward and leaving space at the back. It just looked like they didn't really know what the game plan was. There was a lot of there was a huge gap between the defence and the midfield. Um, very very unlike. Hamilton, like they, they didn't look particularly fit or focused, and, and that's not really like them at all. I mean, credit credit to Kilmarnock, I think, who were really exceptional in the second half. Um, I mean, they were they were very good in the first half and deserved to be ahead, and then kind of dropped the heads dropped a wee bit as they might when when Brophy gets sent off. But they really went for it in the in the second half and completely outplayed Hamilton. But um, yeah. Uh, you, you you can kind of understand that if a couple of players are out, that that's to be kind of be expected. But they didn't seem to have a game plan for the second half. They didn't seem to know whether they should be pushing on for a winner. They they just looked all all at odds. I I didn't see this game, but I do know that they started again in their diamond formation and again starting in a diamond formation with. Fullbacks who aren't necessarily great in a diamond formation because you need a lot of support in the wing for your for your fullbacks when when you play a, a narrow system like that. And while I thought on Saturday it looked like Haki Madofin was going back to right back, and I, I did wonder whether that was a mistake because he has been so impressive in the centre. Even though he scored, he didn't look quite as impressive in this game as his defensive duties. But instead, they actually started with Jamie Hamilton on the right and Scott McMahon on the left. Scott McMahon, I think, is a, a 
serviceable top flight fullback. I don't think he's quite kicked on in the way I would have liked, uh, but he's really ever kind of let Zaki's down a, a solid enough player. But you know, neither of them are going to really give you much going down the flank. And I wonder just so you can maybe answer, you could maybe confirm or deny this for me that you know when you're playing a team and they go down to 10 men, you really want to use your advantage. You want to use the width of the pitch. And Aki's had a system out there that was not conducive to doing that. I think that's very fair. I think, um, yeah, I, I think that's entirely fair. I don't think they... And they didn't change their approach. You know, they, they, they didn't change their approach. I, th- I think they, they tried to, were trying to go long in the second half, whereas, you know, Kelly's game is a passing and moving game. And, and Chris Burke, who... Probably, I mean, he's probably not playing the best footballer of his career, but he's almost certainly playing the most consistently good football of his career, I think, at the moment, it would be fair to say. Um, he's played at a higher level. And he's, <laughs> People he's, try to tell me, like, this is the peak of Chris Burke's, uh, Chris Burke's career, because I think I was talking about somebody else. Like, it's like he's obviously not at his peak because he's in his 30s or whatever. And then it's like, well, Chris Burke's at his peak. It's like, Chris Burke is not at his peak. He's playing very well for his age, but I'm sure when he was fucking getting Scotland caps and playing in the English yeah. Championship regularly, and I think he even maybe played in the English top flight, I'm sure that he was actually playing better then. Just wasn't yeah. standing out as much, and and he was always the top player that he, as as wide players tend to do. They, they sort of drifted in and out of games. At the moment, throughout the you know through, throughout the season, he's been involved in everything good that they've done for eight nine months. Um, you know, consistently one of the best players on the pitch, regardless of how Kelly plays. So you know, fair enough. And when you've got Burke doing that, and Kilty, who was excellent. Um, and has had you know injury problems, and there's probably a question mark as to whether he would he would have started had numbers not been so thin on the ground this season. Um, uh, you know whether he'd be as involved as he has been. He he was excellent, amazing, really amazing work rate. It meant that not only were Hamilton not really set up right, but even when they went down to uh, when Kelly went down to ten, they. They couldn't press home any kind of advantage. It, it was um, as long as Kelly could keep the ball in the Hamilton half, which they did pretty well because they've got some really good footballers. Um, Hamilton couldn't really do. They couldn't move the ball up the pitch quick enough. They couldn't get it into dangerous areas. They didn't have a threat out wide, and they lost the ball by they lost the ball by just channeling it through the middle all the time. Um, and it meant that in the second half, despite having a numerical advantage, they didn't create anything. Yeah, and I blame Marius Ockenbo's haircut, to be fair. <laughs> fair. It's a shocker. It's like a horrendous <laughs> mohawk. Well, it's, it doesn't even count as a mohawk. It's just like a slither of hair down the centre of his head. Um, were, well, Hamilton were marginally more narrow than his hair. <laughs> Nicely done, nicely done. <laughs> uh, there was uh, something else I was going to say that I think I've just blanked on now. And, I don't know, Aaron Tishbola has having himself a season so far. Uh, very kind of bright spot for Kelly. I think Craig Anderson even said the other week that he's probably, he shouldn't possibly be looked upon as their first choice centre midfielder at the moment because suddenly they've got, you know, perennial, you know, consistent fan favourites, Gary Dicker and Alan Power. That's, that's quite a compliment. Yeah, another impressive performance. I think um, their midfield were the. I mean, the, the midfield was the. Let Burke will get the plaudits. Kabamba was very good, um, and has becoming 
something of a cult hero for a player that I think, I don't know, maybe it was just me that thought he'd be the sort of player that would come in for six months and be one of the guys that you get in a quiz who got a couple of goals before the end of the season. I think I didn't even bother to, to even like look at Kabamba when he came in in January because I was like, he's going to be here for four months. He's going to yeah. go once and I'm never going to care about him ever again. I'm never going to remember his name. He might turn up in League One in a season's time. But, like, yeah. Yeah, but he, he looks like he's, uh, he's got the makings of a bit of a cult hero uh, and Kilty was very, very good. But, but the midfield was the reason that they won that game because Hamilton did not know how to get beyond them. Um, and it meant that like, Kilty didn't have to dramatically alter their, their game plan. They didn't have to sit particularly deep or anything like that. And, and yeah, the, 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 and the midfield were large parts of that. I remember I was going to uh, go into, uh, and we can do this before we finish, uh, Brophy's red card, no complaints. I don't think so. Um, I think he leaves it there. It does. A, a beat too long. I think yeah, it's a red card. I, I mean, I, there were there were probably worse challenges over the weekend, but... It, well, Marius Ockenpo's challenge. Well, yeah. I mean, even even uh, even the Dolphins one on, on Burke when, he, when they, they get the first yeah. goal. But he's like, he almost looks around like, what do you mean? They're not, you're not giving a free kick. You're not pulling it back for that. For this, this. But yeah, I think there can't be a huge amount of complaint. I mean, Rofi's obviously very surprised that it's red. Um, but yeah, he's not really in control of it. Studs are up. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think Ogunpo, is it a red? I don't know. It should definitely be a booking. I can't believe that having sent off Rofi, he didn't give him at least a booking. It just goes to show... That in the penalty area, things are just like rules. There's, right, there is far more leeway for both defenders and forwards. Like you get it quite a lot where a forward shoots for goal, defender takes him out, nothing happens. It's not a penalty given. Uh, it seems to just be completely fine. Then uh, the same kind of goes for forwards. If a forward is like stretching to to get to a ball, it's after taking a bad touch as Okupo did. If he does that challenge in the centre of the park, no fucking danger. He's escaping with nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the amount of times that you can, you know, you can legitimately challenge the goalkeeper with a by being a couple of inches off the ground, and yeah, you might get booked, but there's not that many red cards for uh, dangerous chances on goalkeepers. Right, Tom. Think that'll do us. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, and thank you to everybody for listening. Be sure to check out the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. There's loads of stuff uh, to, to check out, so, so make sure to delve into that. You can pay as little as $2 a month for two shows a week, or you can pay $5 a month for five shows a week, at least, guaranteed, every week. At least as an average. <laughs> sometimes done it when it's going to drop below in a week, but I'm like, yeah, I posted like fucking 11 the week before, so it's fine. I'm, I'm doing all right here. <laughs> right, cheers. Goodbye. Cheers. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.